is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Cover Band Confidential Podcast, the podcast for cover band musicians and band leaders to learn how to rock more and suck less. Here in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm Adam Johnson, and we have a very special guest this week joining us all the way from across town, from the outskirts of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we have a uh, guitar player and vocalist who is currently fronting an Atlanta area tribute band called Nevermind, doing Nirvana tributes, as well as a bunch of other things. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Hogan joining us this week. How you doing, man? I am well. Thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? You know, it, like like you said, it's been uh, it's been a long four years since last year. That's true. That's true. So I was trying to rack my brain around when we first met. I think I became aware of your existence before I actually like officially met you. But like you've kind of just been one of those guys in the Atlanta music scene that has done cover band gigs and tribute gigs and that kind of thing for a long, long time. And it feels like. Yeah. Within the past, I don't know, probably two or three years, you kind of found your stride with a certain lane, and that's kind of been where you've been ever since. But let's go back. All right. So, you know, let's let's have the fun talk. Like, what got you started in doing music in the first place? Uh, my dad uh, was an Elvis impersonator. Okay. Which wow. instantly by proxy makes me super cool. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, if I got nothing else, I got that my dad was an Elvis impersonator. So that's pretty badass. And that was it. It was just, uh, you know, um, my, my mom was just a massive, you know, biker hippie. And so there was just constant music playing along with other things constantly. Um, but there was constant music and I didn't know. Uh, I just didn't know any other, any other way. I I've explained that to people before about like playing guitar. I didn't know. I didn't know that everybody didn't play guitar. Yeah. Um, so it's just how I, I I I came up. Like there was always a guitar around. There was like somebody with a guitar or a bass or a banjo or a mandolin or uh, something. So I, I didn't realize that you just everybody just didn't couldn't play guitar. You know, just so <laughs> that's that's where I got my start. Ninety six rock and uh, my mom's boyfriend. So. Yeah, ninety six rock. For those of you who are not a part of this area, is the was the basically the rock station in in the oh, area. Yeah. And they, yeah, you know, yeah. they broke, they broke bands like the Black Crows and you know all of the local Atlanta groups like Driving and Crying and stuff. So uh, they're definitely quite integral for all of the all the Atlanta musicians who came up in rock music. So I know that like I came about learning that I could sing or I could be a vocalist kind of by accident. Did you go through that same process or was that something you always kind of decided that you wanted to do? I never wanted to be a singer. Still don't. <laughs> uh, I like I, I like guitar. Um, I always, uh, I, I can't remember lyrics to save my life, honestly. And, um, but I can pick up a guitar and play any part, uh, any, any song, you know, that I've played before, but like, so I can retain all of that lyrics. Yeah, I don't have any idea. And I don't like be, I don't, I don't like people looking at me. So, um, <laughs> so being a, being a singer is just a necessity. That's always been there. I've always been someone that they've always like, Oh, he has, he's got blonde hair. So get him to sing for the band. <laughs> you know, so um, coming up in that era in the, in the, you know, in the mid eighties. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was another one of those things. It was like, Oh, he has long hair and holes in his jeans. He's the singer, you know? Yeah. So um, you just did it. Uh, and, and coming up in the eighties, you know, I came from, I came from uh, my first interest, real interest outside of just standard, you know, seventies rock was was punk rock and um yep. and i was just like yelling and screaming and i really really like that and um 
So when I first started singing, it was just like screaming and uh, turned out I was good at screaming and I could scream in key, I think, uh, uh, which sort of disqualifies you from punk rock. But yeah. um, but uh, yeah, I, again, stumbled into it. it was just like literally friends were like, hey, man, you should be our singer. And I'm like, yeah, I should totally do that. And then there, there we go. I know a lot of singers who feel the exact same way. It's like, well, no one else would do it. So I guess I'll do it. And exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to fall into it. But I mean, yeah. when I first became aware of you in this particular world, everybody was like, no, he's he's like legit. He's got a unique voice. He's got the he's got the range. He's got the tone, you know, and, and that's, I think, where you and I kind of re- like came to an understanding. Like we're like, OK, game recognizes game, I guess you could say. But like, right. yeah. somebody could like really, really perform and, and had the technical skills and also was very, very entertaining. So once you kind of found that particular lane is like, okay, well, I'm a guitar player that sings, or I'm a singer who plays guitar, you know, however you want to split it. Did you go through the whole original process trying to like make it big yeah. and that kind of thing? Like, how did that journey go for you? I think we all know how the rest of us go, you know? It was never make it big. I, um, I, I, you know, I, and I don't disparage anyone who still has that dream and, and, and shoots for it. They have something in them that I don't have that I envy. And, and uh, for me, again, the social anxiety was when I was in a couple of situations that were promising and, I, you know, embarrassed at this point in my life to say that I probably self sabotage that um, because that was just something that I felt um, I felt that emotionally I just wasn't there's something I just couldn't wrap my head around that I, I um, shows with more than 100 people freaked me out. And uh, and and I just never I just never did that. And and then once I started writing music, um and 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 recording i realized that that was what i enjoyed i enjoy recording uh i enjoy the finished product i enjoy just sitting in front of my own speakers and going like yeah that's that sounds like the thing it sounds like you know like that's that's that to me is i'm 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 incredibly content with that um so the original stuff for me was was really personal and I didn't know how to get it out. I I I, I did that for a while. You and I have some uh, mutual friends, and yep. I I played with them, you know, in the late '80s and and early '90s, and and we did well locally. Um, but when it really came down to it, I I was I would not have been the right guy to get into that lifestyle. It, it's interesting having a certain level of self awareness where you can go. If I was given the things that I thought that I wanted, I would have destroyed myself. Yeah. But yeah, the self-awareness and and you know the potential self-destructive behavior that kind of comes with the with anxiety is something I absolutely relate to. And once you kind of let yourself go to the the idea that like, okay, well, this isn't going to be my my full-time thing. I'm going to do this as a as a hobby or as kind of like a side business or whatever. You know, you, your priorities shift and you, and you're able to kind of like find your lane. So. This is something that I always think is interesting. Like, what what is your day job? Like, what do you do when you're not doing this? Man, I uh, I have been I have been in logistics and operations management for seven to eighteen years. Um, I you know I studied I studied uh, for three years as, as a chef, and um, life happens, and you know, all of a sudden kids are there, and you know you can't be gone um, all hours of the night and taking yeah. crazy shifts. So I I did what. You know, I applied myself in, uh, with what I knew how to do. I was organized, so I'll go manage something else, and um, that's what I do. And and we, you know, we've been doing Nevermind for we're going on seven years, yeah. and and you know, we 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 book as much as we want to book. Um, and all of us, you know, still have our our day jobs, and 
I mean, Mike, for crying out loud, owns his own business, um, which is extremely punk rock if you uh, pay attention to Dave Grohl. Um, DIY. Um, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's 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 something romantic and and um, and wonderful about the fly by the seat of your pants kind of uh, get in a van and go do it kind of thing. But um, you know, once once you're past like 24, 25, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Now you just sort of like you're just a gypsy, you know, like, um, I, I like, I like air conditioning and food and, um, and car insurance and, uh, you know, so, so yeah, I, I, I work, I'm an operations manager and, uh, I love it, man. Spreadsheets all day and, and, and conference calls and, uh, you know, khaki shorts. So there you go. (laughs) Okay. So we've, we've covered how you got started and where you went. Let's talk about how you ended up doing the Nirvana tribute. Because like, from my perspective, you have had, I don't know, at least a dozen projects since I've known you. There is, you know, there's been multiple tributes of different varying kinds, anything from from Soundgarden to Muse, like you've done a lot of things. Yeah. How did Nevermind come up? And then how did it kind of take off, at least from your perspective? Well, uh, it it all it all happened because um oddly a group of us just weren't booked on halloween one year and um you know i was in a cover band at the time and and we had no show um actually i was <laughs> like three cover bands i think it's tough and I, I just wasn't booked and um uh, mike our bass player reached out to me and he's like um he's like hey man uh would you be like interested in doing this stp thing with my uh foo fighters tribute which he was doing at the time which was awesome and um and i was like oh i don't know i mean what's the what's the deal on that and he's like well we're just going to kind of get together and, and play some stuff we're gonna, you know we're going to do some stp we're going to do some foo fighters and you know uh it'd be fun and i'm like yeah that sounds fun and then and then the wheels start turning and then i was like well wait a minute it's halloween um can we how about we dress up like the bands and do it and um and and he thought that was a great idea and then we start looking at the songs like you know there's not enough song and, and you know from being you know in the cover band world yeah um tribute you know two two bands of hits that's not a night you know yeah so so i was like hey how about we do like 10 nirvana songs too that kind of fits stp foo fighters nirvana i i literally came up with that idea because like my wife is the biggest nirvana nirvana fan in the world and and the year that we met she bought me one of uh kurt's um, non-production model Jagstangs, which is sitting right back there, um, 95. And they were released in 96. She got it for me in 95. But anyway, um, it was on the wall. I'm sitting there talking to Mike and I'm looking at the guitar and I'm like, Nirvana, I've got the guitar right there. I can get a freaking sweater. Um, so we did that. We, we, we go to do the show. Um, it's Halloween night. You know, it's just a lot of parties. It's a big party. Yeah. Um, and so we do the first set, which was uh, STP and, you know, I, get the bullhorn and the hat and the whole thing. And you know, we played our songs and everybody's like, no, that's good. Um, and then we, we, we go back for five minutes or so, change our clothes, come back out. Mike's Dave Grohl now going to sing Foo Fighters. We do Foo Fighters. Everybody's like, yeah, that was good. Um, and then and we're thinking, I, I remember literally telling Mike, I was like, when we got back to change our clothes again, I was like, man, you know, if the, if, if we can just hold this, this would be a pretty fun night. This is great, man. It's a good crowd. Um, we got changed, put the sweaters on and the, sunglasses and the whole thing and go out to do nirvana and now the whole room is full and whoever's not in you know uh sexy mustard costumes for halloween 
are now in uh, Nirvana t-shirts and which was cool, except we only knew 10 songs. So we played, we played those 10 songs, uh, probably not extremely well, but by that point in the night, there's a lot of alcohol. It didn't matter, but we, we finished the show and everybody was like yelling, you know, this song and that song, and this song. We're like, we don't, we don't know any more songs. Like it was, this was a joke. Um, the, 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 Next, probably three days, I start getting messages on Facebook about, hey, I want to book the Nirvana tribute. Hey, I want to book. I was like, there's no Nirvana tribute. So, you know, I get with Mike and I'm like, maybe we should, you know, think about that. That was kind of fun. Maybe we should do it. So we did it a couple more times. And again, start the night off with, you know, SCP, some Foo Fighters, and then Nirvana gets packed. Um, so it sort of it sort of forced our hand. We realized that, like, well, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth here. I mean, you've got people who want to see this. There isn't one. Let's just let's just do it. It's just, yeah. This would be great. You know, so that's that's how it happened. I don't know how many stories I've heard doing the podcast that, oh, we did this as a joke and then it became this yeah. massive thing. Yacht, yacht rock. Exactly. <laughs> right. They're, they're yeah. the example of that. So let's talk about the business of being in a tribute band. Now, you guys have kind of leapfrogged over the local Atlanta scene and you are now like basically a regional touring act. Mm -hmm. How did that process kind of come about? Was that like an organic thing that kind of happened or did, you know, you guys get kind of fast tracked based on some conditions? Like how do you go from, we're doing this on Halloween as a joke to touring the Southeast and playing pretty solid big venues when you, whenever you feel like. We've been really lucky, but it, it I think it comes down to like we were talking about, um, what our jobs are. Um, you know, I'm, I, I run, I run companies <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, my owns his own company. It was just, it was, if we're going to do something, let's, let's do it. You know, like, um, you know, you can only, for, first of all, and, 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 and I have to clarify, um, I'm not sure if you ever covered this on, on your show before, but, but, um, you know, the the tribute market and cover band market and then the like event and and, and private party market. I mean, there's these are very different things. These are yeah. these are it's the difference between it's the difference between you know making Athens and Atlanta. I mean, it's just it's just different things. So we didn't know that originally. It was it was really talking with other guys like you know you 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 know them as well. The most the sweetest guys in the world in departure and. Um, uh, a few other bands, rumors, a few other I, that, that, uh, you know, you start looking at who's successful and what are they doing? And so you see that like, okay, they are local, but not extremely local. You know, I think, I think departure is probably the most local simply because they could play in a, a Walmart bathroom and 5,000 people show up. Right. Um, so it's really, they can just play where the hell they want. But in general, you looked at that and I started looking at, I was like, wow, they're, they're in North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, Alabama. They're, you know, like, all right, well, where are they playing in these places? And then yeah. you find that these are amazing rooms, you know, and that they're playing to like 1,000, 2,000 people. So there's a market. So we looked at it like, okay, well, we could play, you know, bars. Um, but the amount of money and effort that we're talking about putting into this, like we want to see that return, you know? Yeah. So you want to know that you did this. We want to do this right. We want a stage show. We want the whole thing. So it was really just a vision. I mean, we didn't, we had never really done this before. So we were coming from cover bands 
going into tribute and, yeah. and literally blind and just had to look at what everybody else was doing and who was successful and why were they successful? And how do you apply that to, how do you apply that to three guys that are, you know, from the, from the Pacific Northwest who want to break everything, you know, how do you make that commercially viable? Yeah. You know? Um, so there was, a, there was a massive learning curve, but us getting into those rooms was simply literally asking the question, just knocking on the door and saying, Hey, you know, we're, you know, this Nirvana tribute from Atlanta that you know nothing about that doesn't deserve this, but how about we come and play your 2000, you know, seat national venue. And they're like, okay, you know, so, so we, we, we did it. Uh, and I'll, I'll give, I'll give all the credit in the world that to, um, uh, Iron City in Birmingham. They gave yeah. us our first shot. Iron City, and then right, right, literally right after them, the Orange Peel in Asheville. Both of them gave us a shot, and it and it gave us visibility. So we played those shows. Tons of people. You know, you know how it works. You yeah. you take the pictures, you take the video. All of a sudden, it's a thing now. You know, yeah. now everybody wants in on the thing. So we got really lucky. I, I guess is the bottom line. We got really lucky. So let's talk about the the tribute component to this. This started off as a thing that's like, okay, well, we can give this a shot. And then it became a business thing. It's going to be a potential full-time deal. Like what kind of research, what kind of onboarding, you know, shedding process did you take on to become another person? Well, that, um, again, you know, never done it. Um, <laughs> so uh, I started, again, I started looking at, at the really successful tribute bands and how far they were going. How did, how are they doing this? And it really, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I saw, um, and now they're friends of mine and it's amazing, but, um, Queen Nation from LA, yeah. um, getting to know those guys and, and, uh, and really picking their brain and, and knowing that first of all, you got to have it, you got to be that guy. You got to be that guy who's able to do that. Um, there are lots of uh, over the years, I've seen lots of tribute performers that great bands, great singers, great guitar players, what have you, but they're not committing to the part. And yeah. and it literally is a show and it's an act. It's nothing. It's no different than than playing a role on screen or on stage or in this case, in a band on stage. You have to play the role. Um, and, and I don't, I don't mean to take this so seriously that it's like, oh, he's, you know, he's full of himself. That's not, a, not it at all. It's just, you have to have, there's gotta be a certain amount of, of, um, you gotta suspend disbelief a bit in the audience. You have to, they have to be able to, we, we, we have this thing that we just call it the squint factor. You have to be able to squint and that's the thing, you know, I'm, if I'm in the audience and I kind of just squint, then that's, that's the thing I think it is right. Yeah. A few beers and you squint and you think that you're at Pink Floyd or whatever. Um, so for the research that we did, I, I think I had, I'm not going to speak for Mike, um, but I, I think I probably had more simply because I, I you know, I was taken on I, 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 way a bit off way more than I could chew. If you want to be honest, because you're, you're not, you're not, for me, it was just about sort of recreating the songs, wearing the sweater, having the guitar, and the rest will take care of itself. But it's not. Kurt was not just the singer of a band. Yeah, you know, he was. He's Kurt Cobain from Nirvana. I yeah. mean, that is the '90s. Watch any documentary about music in the '90s, and there'll be a really long-haired guy who talks about how great things were until and and there, you know, he's that guy. So I didn't grasp that originally. It took me a while um, to to learn to watch all of that footage and how he stood here, 
he doesn't move around much here. He does this or, you know, and it just took a while to put that whole thing together, but it's literally, you're, you're building a role as a character. Um, and I mean, Mike for crying out loud, you know, a he's, you know, big lanky tall, you know, dork, like, uh, like Chris was, but I mean, he, he really puts himself into that man. He takes his shoes off. He jumps around, he does all of the stuff. So, so that it's the right thing. You know, yeah. we, we all feel awkward, up there, you know, he's wearing purple jeans or whatever, or I'm wearing for crying out loud. We just did our un- un- unplugged show in Asheville and it was like 88 degrees. And I'm in a wool sweater, a flannel and a t-shirt, you know, on stage doing this show. And these are just the things that you have to accept now that like, this is how that show's done. Right. And when you have to break something, you break it. And when you, when you, when you have to, you don't feel well or whatever, I mean, you just, you have to do it you know, four shows in a row and you just got to scream your head off and you have to do it. You have to commit 100%. Gregory from, from, from uh, Queen Nation. Uh, I'm the biggest Freddie Mercury freak in the world. And, you know, he moves me to tears with the way that he portrays Freddie. He commits to it and he completely surrenders in that two hour period to the audience, giving them exactly what they want. And you, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not going to go that level, if you don't have that sort of commitment to do that, then it's not going to be successful or as successful as it could have been. Sure. If we're talking shop, like what are, what are the things that Kurt does that you can kind of like boil down into like a, a, a certain trick or technique? What is something that you do that you can be like, when I do this, it's Kurt kind of coming through me. He was very, uh, he was very focused on guitar more so than vocals. Um, but the, you have to split that difference because in, in a tribute you're selling, you're, you're giving you're giving the audience what they think they remember, right? right. So, um, so there's a weird equation there that you have to you have to keep straight. But like Kurt always live made sure that the guitar was right. Um, no matter what you hear about him, with he didn't tune his guitar and he did this and he played wrong or he would, yeah. I, to an extent, a lot of those things are true, but everything was intentional. Everything uh, had its place. There was a bit of performance art to everything. There were nights when it was just play the songs, have a good time. There were nights when it was teach this audience a lesson or, um, you know, make, uh, make MTV eat itself. You know, like there was, there was, there was always a reason for what he was doing. So um, it was really hard for me. I'm by nature, just a sloppy guitar player. Um, I love Jimi Hendrix and, and Stevie Ray. And I, when I say sloppy, I don't mean bad, you know, I just, but there's that feel about those blues players, you know, that um, always that I identified with Kurt was never a blues player. Kurt was never um, a technical guitar player, but he, he understood his bar chords and he, I mean, they were welded in his hands. And so he was very tight with his guitar playing. So for me, that was, that was hard to to do. And, and I know that I have to do that. He wears it a little higher. So I have to do that. And he did this, he did this thing with, um, uh, which is works for me, closes his eyes when he's saying this. And I do that because I just don't want anybody looking at me, but, uh, but uh, I have to do you know that. And then like, um, like when he played his solos, um, he usually looked down, you know, and would sway and do this kind of thing and like kind of twist his feet and stuff. Like it was really, it's hard to put it in words. No one's ever asked me about it before, but um, 
you do those things and then you hear the reaction, you know, um, from, from people who are just like, oh, man, you know, like you realize you're doing OK, I'm doing that thing now. I'm doing that thing that he did that I'm that is now comfortable for me to do. I don't feel stupid doing it. Um, uh, God, there's so many curtisms. I mean, even down to the point where I've started um, grinding my teeth when I sing the way that he does um, just from watching him do it so much. So now when I sing those songs, I just think about that performance and then I'm grinding my teeth. And one of the things that jumps out at me is like the way he kind of like chews on words. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, exactly. He closes his mouth around certain, certain phrases or whatever. Yes. But, but it's interesting to, to talk about the physicality, you know, on top of just, you know, I need to, look like him, play like him, sound like him, but I also need to like yeah. move like he does. Or not move or not, like yeah. he does, you know? Um, which is another thing. You you and I come from a world of like keeping people entertained and, you know, keeping the drinks flowing and the money coming, right? So that's uh, that's a different mindset where, with doing something like this with Kurt, who was a guy who really didn't care if you were there or not, you know? And um, and and that's a whole different thing. I'll, I'll be honest, there is a comfort um, in it for me, because it's great when, when I walk out there and I'm able to just, you know, kind of channel Kurt, uh, for two hours instead of having to be Eric. I mean, that's, um, that's an incredible amount of freedom, um, where you, you know, that it's like, I'm, it's not me, you know, I can, I can do these things. I can be this guy. I can say these things, um, and play these things and make these noises and all that. And it's all like, it's all valid, because it's not me. Like if Eric did that, it'd be lame, you know, but like, uh, but, but this guy can do it tonight and everyone's going to clap, you know? And uh, so there's, there's a lot of freedom in that. Very cool. I did want to bring this up because you, you just mentioned it, but the cover band world in, in, in this particular business revolves around alcohol and alcohol consumption. And you're a sober guy. Mm-hmm. First of all, how did you come to that particular part of your life? And then how do you navigate a world where it's not something that, you know, you participate in, but you still have to be around all the time. Yeah. Uh, all the time. It used to be a problem for me. Um, but, um, I, I guess just with age, you become more tolerant and you know, it, it is what it is. But, uh, as far as here's, here's what's wild. Um, I've never drank. So I, I didn't like used to drink and, you know, had an epiphany and got my, my, my crap together. Um, I never drank. And that's because uh, the, it tastes really bad. <laughs> so because it tastes really bad, I can't get past that. Um, so I don't drink. Um, I, I don't disparage anyone who does anymore. I used to I used to be a total douche about it. But um, uh, again, you get older and you, you learn lessons. But um, being around people who drink um, now, you just learn exit strategies and you learn to sort of like manage you, you manage expectations with people who drink uh, and you have to just pay attention and know that like, oh, I should probably get out of here. Um, uh, and, and it's great being, being the artist uh, artist um, now, like in the tribute world, because I can literally just like, um, you know, recede into darkness behind the stage again, you know, I, uh, Whereas in the cover band world, like, like you said, that's part of your job. Like I, I, I remember, I remember, you know, getting, you know, stern talking to's about, uh, you know, Hey, you need to be pushing these drinks, you know, and you know, you need to be, you need to be asking for shots. I'm like, I don't drink. Well, then you don't drink it, but you ask for them, you know, and they buy them and, you know, and I, I, I always, I, I did it. 
it was part of the job, but um, I was never comfortable doing it because I don't drink. And it's weird because you look down and there's a tray of drinks in front of you and it's a lot of money there and I'm not drinking it. And I know that, you know, at some point somebody's going to be like, I bought you that drink, you know, and um, so, you know, you learn your, you learn ways around that. You start handing out drinks and and things. And um, yeah, it it was hard in the beginning. Uh, I, I worked through it. And then now in the, in the, in the, in the, as a tribute artist, it's, it's almost non-existent now when there's, you know, when there's a line of, of belligerent, you know, inebriants, um, <laughs> I literally just go backstage <laughs> I'm done, you know, and I, 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 that doesn't happen very often, to be honest, it, you know, you get into these, the better, the better the room, like uh, the better the, um, the environment and the and the better the uh, the accommodations for like security and the fact that they're not going to overserve mainly you know yet usually that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, we still see things and we have some things on video um, that are insane, but um, generally you just don't get that. Yeah. And, and 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 we don't drink. Mike might have you know Mike might might have like a a whiskey or something like that, but not like five whiskeys. You right. know, so we're we're all we're all just like, you know, lameoids, um, <laughs> drinking our, drinking our sodas and waters. And, um, I love the look, by the way, I love the look of, uh, when the person who's in charge of like hospitality and stuff, um, uh, comes up and wants to know what kind of beer and what kind of, you know, liquor you want or whatever. And you're like, you guys have any, you have like Coke classic, you know? And they're like, yeah. And what kind of like, do you want like a, a Jack or something to go with that? Like, mm, nope. You have ice or ham. You have ham. That'd be good, you know. And they're just like, uh, okay. Like we were, we were in, uh, where was it? We were in Nashville um, a few months ago, and uh, and something had happened with the show, and they had to push back like a half an hour. There was a something. There was a different time on the website versus a different time on the event or something. And so they're like, hey, would it be cool if you push back a half hour because you have ticket holders that did it? I was like, I don't care. We're here. And they're like, okay, we'll we'll, we'll get you guys some drinks from the bar. And Rodney, our drummer, Rodney goes, uh, you have cake. And, uh, and they were like, uh, we could get you some cake. And then all three of us are like, yes, get us some cake. <laughs> so, so we're backstage partying with our cake, watching, uh, watching a documentary on Angelina Jolie. There you go. So <laughs> that's, that's the highlight now. All right, let's do, let's do, uh, what are the, what are the perks of being in a tribute band? What are, what is something about being in a tribute band that's better than being in a normal Original band cover band. Okay, so the pro is um, I am the type I'm the type of singer that probably because I'm not a you know classically a singer I'm a guy who sings songs and and when I do I have this thing and I don't know if it's biological from my father or what but when I sing I have to try and sing like that guy right and um, it's great as a singer uh, to just be one guy all night. Uh, it's great as a guitar player to just be one guy all night and not have to be, you know, um, it, not have to literally be in Journey for four minutes and then in ACDC for four minutes. And then in, I don't know, does ACDC have a four minute song? Anyway. Um, five songs for them. <laughs> but but uh, that's to me is is the big, well, that and, and the fact that it, and I don't know if it's fair, it just is what it is, but like, um, I mean, there are, I've, I have seen cover bands that I've seen cover bands that just blow my mind with how good they are, how tight they are, how good that show is right to where it literally could be on the same stage 
or should be on the same stage as as me or other tributes are playing in front of 2000 people. A good show is a good show. Yeah. Um, but but the, the thing is, is oddly, it's just not that way yet. Maybe it will be. Um, but what I really love about being in a tribute and I didn't expect it when we started doing it was, like I said, you walk into these big, amazing rooms, you know, that like the night before freaking like the Fugees played, you know, like, like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, and, and, uh, or, or that like, you know, Shooter Jennings was there last night or, 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 or Michael Stipe is at the bar, you know, and would like to say hot, you know, like what, you know, um, that, that just personally for me, that's, that's amazing. That that's a good. That's a payoff. I mean, it's um, you feel like you know I paid all those dues, man. Playing in and and sheds and shacks and backyards and garages and street parties and bars and wing shacks and pizza places, you know. And and then you know you get to to that, and it's like, however I got here, you know, like this is just at this point in my life is a payoff. You know, there's there's it's it's just nice to be like I feel like. As a, and I will always consider myself a cover musician as a, as a cover band guy, that's sort of the, the top. I don't know if you can go higher than that. Uh, tribute still just a glorified cover band. Um, so it, it's, it's just sort of a dumbed down version was just like one band, you know? Um, I think that that's a good payoff when you've worked that hard. I mean, I've been doing it literally professionally since I was 13. So to get to where we are now and walk into the Fillmore or into the Buckhead theater or whatever, you know, I feel like, yeah, damn right. You know, like this is, this is what this yeah. is why I'm doing it. You know, this is what I wanted when I was 14. I didn't want to be on a tour bus with like strippers, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to be in, uh, I wanted to be in Nashville watching documentaries. You know, that's, that's really, that's what I wanted. All the cake you can eat. All the cake you can eat. All right. So on the flip side, what is uh, what are some things about being in a tribute band that are uh, less than ideal? For me, um, there is nothing there's nothing more fun to me than being able to whip out um, life in the fast lane, <laughs> or or you know something for bad company or a Zeppelin song or there's nothing in the world cooler than that to have a group of guys that you can just be like you know, start playing walk this way and everybody starts playing walk this, you know what I mean? Like, I love yeah. that. The electricity of like the spontaneity of the moment. Yes. And, yeah. and I, the thing is, is that first and foremost, I'm a music fan more than anything else. I'm just a guy who likes songs <laughs> and I've always done that. And I will always stick up for the cover bands because there is, in my opinion, a, a great cover band. And, and you know, this, it's hard to find a great cover band you can find a good cover band you can find 20 good cover bands but finding a great cover band that like really really nails it man and really just you know just plays that better than anybody as good as you can play that you know like you can't the original band's not going to play it as good as that it's just this is as good as it is um i love that about being in a cover band and being in a tribute you don't have that freedom anymore it's she sticks to the script you know and i love being able to bounce around i love that i love and 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 i'll tell you uh mike hates it but i um there are plenty of times where i just get a wild hair and i'll just start playing freaking journey or, or, or Metallica or, or whatever, you know, and, and, and we'll play it until it falls apart, which is pretty quick. Uh, but, but, you know, I don't, I know that we're in a Nirvana tribute band, but you know, the thing is, is that if I really wanted to be technical about it, 
Uh, Nirvana was known for that too. Uh, Kurt would constantly just like start playing a Zeppelin riff or a Black Sabbath song or a Cars song. Um, wouldn't finish it. You know, they play it to a fell part. So I could technically lean on that and be like, no, this is, this is actually the way they would have done that, but uh, I'll still do it. Yeah. So to, to me, the, the, the downside of being in a tribute is that you are, you know, you're stuck in a script and and you can't go outside of that. And what I loved about being in a cover band is that, OK, so you're playing 30 songs tonight, um, you know, uh, and the thing is, is that in between that, if you, I don't know if you guys worked that way, but I always did, especially once I became a guy who had a guitar in my hand, like I got the guitar, you're going to have you're going to have to go along with me. <laughs> you know, so. Um, but I, that's, that's it. I, I just love that. I, there's nothing to me that's, that's better than being in a, even in just a garage with buddies and, you know, for a couple hours, man, playing anything that you can think of, you know, from Skid Row to Skinnerd and just having a good time loving music. And that's, you know, to me, that's, that's what I miss. That's to me, that's what's missing from being in a tribute because you can only play these songs yeah. and that's it. Do, do you do it with like rough fans that like, Oh, you didn't play, you know, this deep cut or you're not using the right pedals. Oh God. Yes. Yes. All the time. And I learned my lesson with that after the second year and spending like 10 grand on uh gear that not only was unnecessary, but sounded pretty bad. Um, I got in touch with Ernie Bailey, um, which is um, uh, Kurt's guitar tech. Uh, then he worked with Foo Fighters for a long time, but um I got in touch with him. I was like, look, what, what do I need to get? Because, you know, I got the, I got the small, I got the small clone and it doesn't sound good. And I got the DS one and it doesn't sound good. What am I doing wrong? And he was literally like, dude, first of all, you know, he's, well, he wasn't cool about the whole tribute thing, but he was a very cool guy. And he was like, let me, I'm just going to tell you this. Uh, it, it, at one point I had a box, a, a milk crate full of distortion pedals um that were on tour we we're in in europe we're on tour and i had a whole box of them and uh there were times where kurt would run every single one of them um and it would sound like the worst thing in the world but it was great because it was punk rock um but uh he was like don't chase it that way we all know what he had on stage and if you ever saw them live it wasn't what you heard on the album so you know if i were you i would just try and get a tone that mimic the album because that's what people are going to want to hear you know and he's like and that's a butch vig secret you know you're not going to find all of those things so just listen to the to the album and try to find something that that reproduces that so that's what it did i started just using you know the amps or in some cases you know modelers quad cortex sitting right there um that uh that 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 just sound like they should sound right and the thing is the greater majority of the people in that audience in that room oblivious they're like yes that sounds like the thing that it sounds like so yay um but then you get some people and it just happened this week where a, a, a kid on our instagram messaged me and he was like i i noticed um i noticed on your pedal board and i'm like oh crap here we go he's like i noticed on your pedal board that you had this black pedal and i know it's not a ds1 and it didn't look like a sansamp so what is that pedal and i was like well, that's a switcher just turns my amp from clean to dirty. And he's like, oh, so you're just using amp distortion because, you know, Kurt using I'm like, man, I know. OK, but here's the thing. I'm not Kurt. Um, this is not actually Nirvana. <laughs> and 
Um, and, and to be honest, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that. Uh, you don't want to hear that coming out of like the, you know, an array PA at a huge room like that, like that much noise, you, you know, that's not, I want to get, I want to get hired again. Right. So I'm not going to bring that kind of crap in there and, and, and take off my sound, man. So as far as gear, yeah, I get, I get nailed all the time on that's not the that's not the this or that's not the that and and the songs yeah all the time like hey you guys didn't play mexican seafood and i'm like yeah that no of course we didn't what you, what's wrong with you like so there would be like me and you would know that song so i gotta play for the people here's the advice that i give other other guys who, who have come up you know like hey man what, what do we need to do with our show and i always tell them you don't create your show for the people who like live and breathe that band you create your show for the you know receptionist in the in the back who just remembers the videos right that's your show yeah. so as much as you'd love to really dig deep and they had this one time in berlin they played that you know and you know you can give it a shot but the thing is in order to be successful again there's that there's that fine line of being like an artist about it and, and only playing the deep cuts or what the band would have done or whatever. And then the other side of that line balancing on saying, okay, but this is a business that I want to be successful at. I want, I want this to be for a reason, right? I want to, I want to spend $1,800 on, on a piece of gear and have it be worth it. You know, I I don't want to waste my time and my money on a passion project. That's just for me. You know, if you want to do that, that's great. Just understand that, you know, you'll be playing, you'll be playing, you know, original bars to 60 people. And if that's what you want, then more power to you. I'm just saying, if you want to do this and do it the right way, then you've got to understand that it is a business. It is a music business. And, and, uh, and you got, you're there for them. You're not there for you. You know, I would, I would, are you kidding me? I don't want to wear a sweater in August. Seriously. (laughs) <laughs> right. If I, if it were up, to, if I were doing it for me, I'd just be in a freaking tank top with like a, a Les Paul, not yeah. a weird nerdy fender thing, you know, that, or, you know, or a 75 Moss, right. Or something. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. I, so it's, you have the, you always have to think about the audience and you have to imagine that that audience is 80% casual listeners who just want those hits. And so how do I keep them entertained in between those hits? Yeah. Right. And, and, and you have to accept that you're going to get those bullets at the end of the show about, man, you guys didn't, you know, and like, yeah, I know, man, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would love to sit here and play nothing but weird songs that no one knows, but that's just not going to, you know, I'm not gonna be able to get back home because I made 20 bucks. Now. Yeah. The term that we use is punishers. Those guys, that's what those guys are. They're punishers. <laughs> the punish. Yeah. That's, that's, that fits, and man. And you're like, what did I do? Yeah. Deserve this conversation with you right now. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Punisher. I think we might start going with that. I don't have a term for it. I think we'll go with that. There it is. Uh, but you know, you're not just doing this. You, you're still kind of diversifying. You're doing other stuff. Um, you know, one of the things that like we actually had an opportunity to like work with work on together was doing the uh, the Chris Cornell stuff. So um, I know that you're doing the Black Hole Sun shows kind of, you know, intermittently throughout the year. Is that mm-hmm. still something that's kind of moving or is it still just kind of a pet project that you're just going to do every now and then just to shake the cobwebs off? We do it. Um, we do it. We only book it between July, uh, May and July, you know, uh, between his birthday and the, and, and the day he died. Um, and it's not, uh, it's a tribute in the truest form that it's a tribute only because it's a celebration of, 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 of Chris. Like no one is, 
I'm not wearing a curly wig and I'm not singing it right. You know, and I'm not doing all those things you would expect from, from a true tribute. We do that just at literally out of love, bottom of our hearts, just like we, we have to do this. You know what I mean? You, you, and I don't mean to take away any, anything from, you know, what I do with, with Nirvana. I mean, it's equally tragic, but, but there was just something, I think most, especially singers, uh, there's something um, magical about Chris Cornell, you know, that, um, and, and when, when you came out and did that with us, man, that's still one of the coolest things. And if you want to come out and do it again, we'll be doing it again. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know how much longer we're going to do this. We may not do it again. Um, I, I didn't plan on doing it. Um, I didn't plan on doing it last year, you know, with the pandemic and all that. And then we re we rescheduled for January to, to fulfill the contract and, um, which was a whole other conversation about the playing during the pandemic, but, um, but still, I mean, everyone's still, I mean, it's like, he's still there, you know, it's wonderful. I always say when we do those shows that, you know, I know that, I know we lost him, but you know, tonight he can be here. Right. So that's, that's why we do it. Um, I, I love, I love that. I love that man so much that, that voice, the songs, everything about him is magic to me, but yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I sort of took your question somewhere else with it. No, but, no, no, um, that's exactly, I mean, that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just love doing it. Um, I mean, if, if you can't, if you're, if you're a rock musician or a fan of, of, of rock, um, and you walk into a room and a band is playing um, searching with my good eye closed. And that does not do something to you. Um, I, I don't know, man, we, you, we can't hang out, I guess, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. You, you, you might, you might need to, you might need to find Jesus. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that we, we started a little bit late and uh, I, I could literally do this for another four hours, but I'm going to let you go. <laughs> Eric, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your schedule to talk to us this week. Uh, if people want to get in touch with you or kind of keep up with what you've got going on, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, they can hit us up on our on our Facebook, um, Nevermind ATL on Facebook. Same for Instagram. Um, links to our website there, our, our, our YouTube, um, our uh, Tinder page. I mean, whatever they want. Um, Grinder profile. Uh, yep. Our, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. We have a Nevermind Grinder profile. Um, but uh, yeah, any, any way they can find us. I mean, we'll talk to anybody. We'll answer any questions and, and I would love to hear from everybody, um, uh, good or bad, you know, like I, I, I'll take the criticism with the praise any day. So, you know, hit us up and, um, you know, maybe we'll see you out of the show. Awesome. Well, Eric, thanks again for, uh, hanging out with us. I'll go ahead and let you go. Everybody, thank you all for tuning in. For those of you who are keeping tabs, you've been listening to the Curb Band Confidential Podcast for the week of June 17th, 2021. Have an awesome week. See you. See you guys. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. If you want to help us, be sure to share us with your friends, follow us on social media, and if you haven't already, please leave a review for us on the podcast platform of your choice facebook.com slash coverbandconfidential, Instagram at coverbandconfidential, and Twitter at coverbandconfid. If you have any questions, please email us at coverbandconfidential at gmail.com and consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash coverbandconfidential. And for more info, check out www.coverbandconfidential.com.